You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Han Solo, arguably the coolest Star Wars character, agreed? Oh, yeah. Ever wonder how he got his laser blaster? No, not really. I remember the dice hanging from uh, the Millennium Falcon? How did he get those? There were dice? How about his name? His name? Yeah. I, I don't know. Who cares? Well, these are all questions I answer in my Han Solo prequel film. Uh, I have some notes. Welcome everyone to I Have Some Notes. It's a new season of cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks for mediocre movies as voted by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing the 28 film uh, Solo, colon, A Star Wars Story. Uh, and we are joined uh, by our uh, right uh, now uh, now regular guest, Three Makes It Regular, Um <laughs> Uh, host of, uh, or no, I guess not host, but GM for the uh, live play podcast, Quantum Kickflip, now a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Uh, please welcome Robin Slack back to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This feels good now that we're like, Quantum Kickflip is on the network with you guys. It, it felt a little bit shady before, like, you know, the, it's kind of off the books, but now we're official network members, so this is all this is all above board now. It's legal yeah. for me to be here. Yeah, it's it's uh, all grandfathered in, too, so. Yes, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Um, and thank you to our listener request uh, line. Not line, it's Twitter. Uh, but nevertheless, <laughs> thank you to our listener uh, who requested this, is what I was trying to say. Uh, Chris, over on Twitter, thank you very much. Uh, throughout this season, we will be soliciting suggestions from you on our social media at I Have Some Notes. Uh, so if you're not already following along, come get in on the action. You can vote and suggest and help us decide what movies we're going to do next. Though it is worth noting that just that first round of asking for suggestions netted us enough movie suggestions for two full seasons of the show. <laughs> yeah, But not quite enough for me to love every movie we're going to do in a season. So please keep them coming. Yeah, if you feel like coming, you really want to sure. suggest oh, one, we're sure. listening. For sure. And we might have to do special requests for things like, you know, Christmas movies and Halloween movies and those kinds of things. So yeah, keep an eye on the social media for sure. And, uh, and select how you wish to punish us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or don't. That's also an option. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can pick good movies. Well, a yeah, very short finish. episode of I Have Some Notes, just like, ah, it's, it's hey, fine. Hey, we all really liked Interstellar, and we still spun a full episode out of that one, so. <laughs> That's fair. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a, been a new season. We're back, or it is a new season. We're back from a bit of a break. Um, before we get into talking uh, uh, Alden, Aaron, Reich, and co., uh, what do we? Uh, what have you all been watching recently? Anything exciting you want to either recommend or uh, dissuade? <laughs> well, uh, over the summer, uh, some friends and I finally got around to watching all of the Planet of the Apes movies, all of them, in chronological release order, from the first Heston film to the most recent 
of the of the reboot films and let me tell you some of them are actually very good um <laughs> uh some of them are are not very good especially some of the older ones and the tim burton one is just bonkers nonsense uh but there are some quite good movies in there including some of the original ones actually i love that moment in the tim burton one because you know when a movie does a big plot twist and the kind of like the atmosphere of the movie when they're like revealing the twist and being like see look what oh do you get it (laughs) this is what happened the whole time and it has that tone but the twist is completely incomprehensible. I've never yeah. had that experience where a movie is like, <laughs> see? And I'm like, no, I, I really don't. What? <laughs> yeah, what are you it's... trying to, what did you do? Um, yeah, it's it's a wild experience. It feels like your you're like, reality has shifted or you're on some kind of drug that you're just like, no, I really don't comprehend what I'm supposed to be taking away from this. Tim Burton's working on a level that's, uh, that's much higher than his audience, clearly. Clearly. <laughs> the the Burton film, I will say this, it has an excellent cast, which is wasted on that movie, and they have fantastic practical effects. It looks really good. Uh, but it is, again, it's incomprehensible nonsense. Uh, the reboot, actually, uh, and I mean, I kind of knew going in that it had gotten some good reviews, but it was even better than I expected. The second movie in particular, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, is a just honestly great movie. And if you uh, like decent sci-fi, you should definitely check it out. Uh, like watch the first one first. Cause it, the second one makes sense in context with the first one, but <laughs> yeah. those two, yeah. if you, if you watch any of the, of the rebooted ones, the third one is eh, the first two are phenomenal and are worth checking out for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a really tight trilogy. I'm, I'm a fan of Matt Reeves and I'm, I'm, you know, I wasn't really needing another Batman, but because he's, involved in it i'm super interested to see how that goes so yeah um i do i do like the the apes trilogy the modern trilogy that batman movie is one of the few that i think benefited from a covid delay where like when they announced it i was very batman fatigued and was like i don't know that i need another batman flick and now it's been delayed long enough that i'm like you know i could go for a batman flick. <laughs> that, that'd go down real smooth right now <laughs> well yeah speaking of dc superheroes uh, I I went and saw uh, the Suicide Squad in a, in a whole movie theater, in a in a ding dang theater in the corporeal space where other people are. Um, and uh, you did a very nice getting... thing too, because you 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 very generously treated all of us to the safest um, movie experience in a theater that we could possibly have during a pandemic. Um, so. Apparently, I didn't even know until you told me that you could just rent out a theater for two hundred fifty dollars. That's awesome! And yeah, you, thank you yeah. again for that. Ruled. That was so much. <laughs> that, fun. Yeah. So um, th- I just wanted to say thank you very much for for yeah. allowing us all to go see Suicide Squad. I, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, this is not a, an endorsement. I'm not fishing for pats on the back, nor am I trying to sell. Uh, t- like I'm, I have no stakes in Cineplex, <laughs> but. You can rent a whole Cineplex for about 250 bucks. Most first-run movies are in there. Um, so, like, if you're Jones and to go see Shang-Chi or whatever, um, if you either have an extra 250 bucks kicking around or you're willing to harangue 20 friends into giving you 1250 each. Which is cheaper um, than a regular movie ticket, actually. Yeah. Um, you and 20 friends can get a whole Cineplex to yourself. So. Uh, and you can go see Suicide Squad, which was pretty good. Yeah. Um, 
I uh, I liked uh, I liked that they. I don't think this is a spoiler, and if it is, I guess now this is your spoiler warning. <laughs> Hit the um, thirty second button. Uh, yeah, skip about thirty second. But the fact that uh, a whole bunch of characters die in the first fifteen minutes of the movie, I thought was just like it set the tone for what what, what was going to be a, a fun romp. Otherwise, um, but I just like the fact that they like get you excited for all these wacky characters. Like they all seem like they they are perfect for a James Gunn style uh, superhero flick and then he just uh, ganks more than half of them uh, it was yeah yeah the uh, movie is other- I described it to Anita as cartoonishly violent like it is a mm-hmm. gory movie but it is like it. you can see James Gunn's history as a uh, at working with trauma films there it is very cartoonishly gory I liked every part of that except for the parts where it knew how clever it was <laughs> there were a lot of really great jokes that i like laughed at and then the movie like kind of patted itself on the back too hard and i was like well now i don't like that joke anymore <laughs> yeah uh, but overall loved it yeah, yeah. great time i'm movie. curious can you give me an can you give an example of one of those types of jokes do you have one off the top of your head oh, off the dome i'm trying to remember one that's the, like not also not too much of a spoiler liam you got um, any <laughs> I remember because you and I talked about it after the scene where where Steve Ag in his um, black ops chair in the control room turns and looks right at the camera and is like, "We gotta kaiju you up in this bitch." Um, yeah, exactly. Like the like, giant. I mean, again, not to spoil anything, but like the the kaiju reveal was very fun, and then the guy commenting on the kaiju reveal was like, "Well, okay." <laughs> <laughs> I would I would say I liked it about as much as uh, Birds of Prey. Um, Birds of Prey was like consistent, like consistently I was on board for. And then there's a lot of ups and downs in this one. But at the end, the net ups and downs of the Suicide Squad <laughs> averages out to Birds of Prey, which was like pretty exactly one Birds there. of Prey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If tonally speaking, Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad are kind of the direction that DC Films wants to move, I'm I'm definitely down for it. Or if they just want to keep doing one offs that are completely different from one another i'm totally fine with that too like not um, everything needs to be a shared universe no yeah and when your direct competition originated that whole business model maybe it's okay to just let them have it and do something different instead of imitating them and failing at every turn yeah because you don't have a a kevin feige who's like sitting there at the top like masterminding it all yeah you've got disparate weirdos (laughs) scrambling to recreate (laughs) kevin feige's work and it's like just don't yeah It's weird because I do actually find myself um, slightly more interested in what DC's offering these days because the Marvel universe has gone on so long and, you know, most of those movies are starting to feel a little samey. You know, who knows if they might be able to shake it up in the the future or not, but I don't know. I'm... I kind of done with that universe a little bit after after Avengers. I'll go see Spidey just because he's my favorite hero, but that's kind of where it ends, I think, for me. They can win me back with a decent uh, take on the X Men if they're if they're able to like thread that needle and work them into the universe in a way that's like fun and different. I'll I'll be back on board. I mean, they just broke the universe and turned it into a multiverse, so that's true. The the X Men are coming. It's just a matter of time. Speaking of uh, movies that have. Uh, perhaps unnecessary sequels <laughs> yeah that today the the day we're recording it this the the matrix uh what's it called uh resurrections, resurrections trailer dropped did y'all check it out 
Absolutely. There was something about it visually that felt off, and I don't think I could quite describe it. And I don't know if it's like some of the visual effects were were not done, or that it's shot on digital and it just it just looks very very different from the original because it's it's quite clean, you know. Whereas I feel like the the original Matrix felt very dirty, just both in its aesthetic, but also you know the you know film grain and all that kind of stuff. I don't. Did you guys catch that at all? I think or, the um, color grade is really different. Like the the original Matrix had a very very green, and I know it's mm-hmm. it's different depending on like which which remaster you watch of it. But like the the color grade was intense on those first ones. It, it was very very stylized in a way that this one didn't feel. Like the, the, like you said, much cleaner and just much more like yeah. It looked yeah. a little bit more like Sense Eight to me than than the Matrix. I could see that. Yeah. Um, is it possible that that will be changed by the time the movie hits theaters, though? Because this is trailer footage, and sometimes that hasn't been given like the final color grading and the oh, the last pass on digital effects. So it the footage that we're seeing right now in the trailer could be much more green <laughs> by the yeah. time it hits theaters. <laughs> Could very much so, yeah. I'm interested to see, like, I, I have no desire for a new Matrix sequel, and I, I don't know that there's any story left to tell there, because, like, that may you could argue there wasn't enough story to justify the other two sequels they already made, so I don't know that we need a fourth movie in the franchise. But also just the fact that, like, everyone's back, and, like, the the one of the two original directors is back, and, like... Th- it feels like they they at least think they have a story to tell. So I'm, I'm ready to be pleasantly surprised by this. And and if it's bad, I have no... It's not like when a Star Wars or a Marvel is bad and I feel like personally betrayed. It's just like, <laughs> it can be bad and I, I'll just not watch it. And that's also yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Lana Wachowski is never boring. And that's I think totally that's fair. the best. Yeah, I think that's you know, I think that's a very high compliment you can pay to any director. Really, it's just like you know whatever whatever she's doing. Um, I may not I may not um, be a hundred percent down for it, but like I'm usually getting at least something out of it. This is the the arcade fire argument, but for uh, film instead of music, where I'm just like, I love that band because they'll never bore me. I don't yeah. love every record they've done, but like. I would take a uh, bad Arcade Fire album over a lot of other bands' really polished stuff any day, you know. <laughs> nice, but yeah, we're uh, th- uh, we also we all watched Solo, a Star Wars movie, very recently, so that we could give it some notes. Some of us, uh, so- for the multiple time. Yeah, this was my first outing with it, uh, Greg. I think you're in the same boat. Yeah, I- I've gone on record Reason. on this podcast that I did not want to watch it. And I only I would only watch it for this show. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, this film directed by uh, Ron Howard. Uh, I realize uh, it wasn't the last episode of uh, of the year uh, that was uh, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, but the second last uh, one we sat down and recorded was also a an Opie joint. Uh, so we're, really, we're taking old old Howie to task on this. Sorry, sorry, Ron. Uh, but yeah, directed by Ron Howard. I mean, to be um, fair, he was nobody's first choice to direct this movie. He was very much the pitch hitter. <laughs> Forgot about all that. And yet he still managed oh. to fit his brother Clint into the movie. So there you go. <laughs> sure did. Uh, Jonathan Caston and Lawrence Caston wrote the thing. And then, of course, it stalls Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo, Woody Harrelson as Beckett, uh, Amelia Clark as Kira, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian, 
and many, many more. A, a, a wonderful cast. So uh, we'll go to the trailer and uh, get into our thoughts on the film. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? So glad we took this job! Han, a young criminal on Corellia, wants to get out of the slums and become a pilot. Finding himself solo with nothing but a pair of golden dice, Han joins the Imperial Army, but the insubordinate scoundrel ends up being thrown in a pit with a Wookiee named Chewbacca. The two break out and begin a life of crime, meeting up with a gambling con man named Lando Calrissian. Lando has a ship called the Millennium Falcon, and Han is determined to win it in a card game. And he gets his iconic gun from a fellow criminal. Also, the Falcon looks like a hunk of junk because Han wrecks it the first time he flies it, making the Kessel run in an impossible 12 parsecs. Also, he got a hot tip he could smuggle for Jabba the Hutt. Also, Darth Maul for some reason. Oh, and there's actually a pretty great space heist movie going on, full of crosses and double crosses, but that's all secondary to all this origin stuff. <laughs> I The reason that I didn't want to watch solo Star Wars stories just because of all that stuff that Scott just rattled <laughs> off. Like, I, 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 I really, I hate when prequels uh, explain things that don't need to be explained. I don't care how he got his gun. I don't care about dice. I don't care about um, how he got his name. That was the most egregious <laughs> one. Um, but I, I will say this, like having having resolved myself not to watch it because of those reasons, when I finally got to sit down in front of the movie, I, I found myself not as bothered by them because I was expecting them to feel like like um like a speed bump in the movie and it didn't really happen that way. Um the only thing I'll say about like most of them felt more or less fine um except for when he got his name, I just thought that there was a slightly better way of handling that scene that might have actually been funny rather than kind of lame. It's remarkable how many of those fan servicey origin bits of like how did he get blank? The answer is just a guy gave it to him or from a guy. Like for a movie so concerned with how he got all these things, so often it's like how did he get his famous gun? A, a guy gave it to him. How did he get his, <laughs> his name? A, a guy gave it to him. There's not really much more to the story than just like yeah. <laughs> he didn't have it and then later he had it cuz a guy gave it to him. <laughs> And I feel like you could you could do a lot more with some of these. And the, like <laughs> a, a couple of them are genuinely cool. I genuinely really liked the introduction of of Chewie and how they first met. Like that story was interesting and a fun set piece, and would have been better served if it wasn't in there with fifteen other fan service things that didn't need to be in there. You yeah. know, I Focus will actually on two I, or three. 
I'm I'm actually I want to give a shout out to Junis uh, Suetomo who plays Chewbacca in the movie because yeah. Chewbacca is really good in this movie, you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. the, I'm, I'm not joking. Like he, it's a great portrayal of Chewbacca. It's a new actor playing Chewbacca in the film, and he brings a lot of great physicality. Chewie's all over the place in this film. He's not as much a second. Like, eh, he's kind of a secondary character, but he's a very prominent secondary character. And I really, really liked Chewie in this film. I don't know that I've ever been disappointed to see Chewbacca show up in a movie, but I, <laughs> yeah. I think you're also right that he's he's particularly good in this one. It was weird when he showed up in Little Women, but um... <laughs> but he was really good in it, right? He was good in it, yeah. He was pretty good. Yeah, the 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 fans the fans are so yeah, it just could have been more clever. Just like be cool, be cool about it. Like it's like someone it, it's. I think I've used this comparison before, but it's always what I think of when they do that. It's like asking someone if they came, where it's like, don't ask, just kind of like know that it worked. Don't ruin the moment by being like, so, huh? Yeah, he got a blaster. <laughs> just be cool about it, man. Be cool. Um, I was surprised by as I watched the, the movie for the third time today. Uh, the the third time total, not the third time in one day. Um, but uh, I, I kept a little notepad just of like things that bugged me and and then also good things that I enjoyed about the movie. I was surprised by the good things list. There there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I actually really dug. That it has a lot of potential. There's a couple of egregious things that bug me that we'll get to in the fixes, I'm sure. Um, but like the list of just like little moments. Uh, that that delighted me was longer than I ever expected it to be. Give give us some hits. Uh, there's a moment early in the movie where he sees a recruiting station for the Imperial Army, and the uh, PA system is playing the Imperial March with some some military propaganda, asking people to enroll in the army, making the Imperial March like the the famous da 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 Star Wars music exists within the star wars universe and like the characters in star wars are aware of that melody and that's wild to me the the (laughs) idea that darth vader might sometimes get it stuck in his head and be walking down the hallway of the death star like humming his own theme music because it exists in the world with him i love that they did that that's fantastic this movie uh is worth it just for that just further to that I love the transition they do there where they've got the Imperial March playing as like a kind of upbeat jingle in the background while they're doing the recruiting pitch. And then it transitions to three years later and the music immediately drops down to a dark tone and he's in the middle of like a hellish war zone and things are going terribly. (laughs) And that was, Ah, that's a, that's a great transition in this movie. I liked, there was a, a scene in a, in a like upscale lounge when they first meet the main villain of the movie. And there's just like a musical performance going on with this like lady in a cool gold dress and some crazy helmet. And then just like a green head in a jar. <laughs> and the lady is a really impressive vocalist. And the green head in a jar is just like barely hitting the pitch. And it's just kind of like, <laughs> and it's so good. <laughs> it's so dumb and, and, and wild. Uh, there's a martial art. Uh, I I don't know if I was gonna say I don't know if this is a spoiler. It's super not. One of the characters does a martial art called Terras Kasi that is like a deep cut pull from a PlayStation One. Star I Wars had that PlayStation game. One game. I owned that game. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's a wild game where the the Star Wars heroes all get into a Mortal Kombat style martial <laughs> arts tournament with like a hired assassin of the Emperor. Here's and the, there's this fighting style that is now recanonized by this movie. Here's the best. <laughs> 
best part is in that video game, there was a cheat you could activate, which made everybody's heads big. And if you did it to Darth Vader, he looked like Dark Helmet. <laughs> oh, that's very good. <laughs> I'll give one more. I love the way that John Fav- Favreau pronounces uh, Wookiee as Wookiee every time <laughs> yeah, he says it. Yeah, I noticed it. that too. It's like the slightest little thing, but it feels like a very lived in, like the way some people say aluminum in different, like depending <laughs> on your dialect. It just feels like, ah, oh, this is how his race says Wookiee. They, they say it Wookiee every time. It's, yeah. just, it's delightful. <laughs> yeah, I really liked the whole crew, the the... The little forearm John Favreau guy and uh, Thoughty Newton, um, the, the the whole the whole crew. I have thoughts on I have thoughts on the heist crew, but they they were sort of, some of my favorite characters. And a little bit wanted to see more of them, but but not in any kind of like criticism way. Just like I I like uh, those actors. The but, cast yeah. in general rules. Paul Bettany is fantastic in this movie. Yes. I love his performance so much. <laughs> He's so he feels so dangerous. Uh, yeah. the, the way that he plays uh, Dryden Voss, Voss feels like someone who could fly off the handle at any second over any word that you say in a sentence and could murder you for it. Um, and yet at the same time can just put on such a genteel and friendly demeanor. And it it's it makes him seem like a very dangerous and unhinged man. And he plays it so well. The introduction of his character where we cut to him mid murdering a guy and just like breathing heavily and just like fully like unleashing his rage and then he he turns on a dime and stifles it and goes back into like charming host mode but like you you get that taste of it so that everything else from that point on you're like oh we know where this could go we've seen him waste a dude with his cool lightsaber dagger this could happen at any moment love it uh donald glover is great in this film as well phenomenal mm-hmm. Playing Billy D. Williams, playing Lando Calrissian. <laughs> the delivery is like spot on. Like just the way he—I I don't even want to try to imitate it, but the way he phrases stuff was really fun. Yeah. yeah, he's he's clearly having a lot of fun, and I sincerely wish that we could get a Lando Calrissian movie starring Donald Glover. Um, I think it's I think a planned Disney Plus show series. I, I want it. Sure that's, Give it to me. That's on the yes. slate. Yeah. Shut up and take my money. Like right now. <laughs> Do it. I'll even give it up to the the lead. Like Alden Ehrenreich, I think had a had a tough job to do enough of a Harrison Ford impression that we buy him as a young Harrison Ford, but not so much that it's annoying and just a caricature. And I think he threaded the needle. Just yeah, fine. I don't I don't know that he was like. It, it reminds me of Chris Pine's turn as Kirk, in the sense that like he wasn't he wasn't really doing an impression of the character or of Shatner. He was just doing Chris Pine, but every once in a while, he would throw in these little Shatnerisms, these little mannerisms uh, yeah. of Shatner, and it, and it was you know it was just enough to get it kind of pitch perfect. And I think um, uh, Alden, I'm sorry, how do you pronounce his name? Alden Aaron Ehrenreich. Uh, he he did more or less the same thing where he was you know he was more or less just just being his charming self but he would he would do the kind of squints and things like that um in the in the, the and some of the facial mannerisms and and just kind of in, in places just get it right so that it felt very much like han yeah chris pine in star trek is a really good reference point for that it's a very similar yeah. portrayal yeah also woody harrelson is just great and he plays he plays uh, like a gruff criminal guy very well. And Beckett is just Beckett is delightful because he is 
at once likable and completely untrustworthy. And that plays through the entire movie. And I think that they did a really good job with that character. Do you want to uh, talk about any of the major issues that may need fixing come the latter part of the show? Uh, well, yeah, like- <laughs> it kind of keeps in cuts without getting in too much into like, like we, we want the problems, we'll save the solutions for the second half. There's, exactly, I, yeah. I have There's a very too specific much. problem. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I, mine's probably, I should probably go first because mine's not plot related. Uh, the movie's ugly and I have, and I don't like the look of it at all. It's, the color grading is bad. Um, muddy most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. There seems to be this um, desire to want every scene to be kind of like an almost monotone. There's not really a lot of contrast in colors in any of the scenes, um, particularly action scenes. Like it's either it's either brown, like puke green, or or a bright bright blue cast or something like that. But you just yeah like. It, there was it it pulled me out of the movie a few times just because i felt like i i could have been watching something uh much more interesting if it was a little bit more colorful or if it was handled shot in in a in a bit more of an interesting way it felt very self-conscious it felt like it wanted to be a, a very gritty rough and tumble kind of a star where like this isn't uh fun space fantasy this is like the the down and dirty star wars and and the way they chose to get that across was by making every frame look like mud. And I feel yeah. like they didn't have to try so hard to, no. to be and down. At, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting because you can juxtapose it with The Mandalorian, which yeah. is very Star Wars-y and is a, like a gritty, da- like down in the mud Star Wars. But it's it's visually interesting. It's nice. It's beautiful to look yeah. at in many cases. I think like it's funny because they had the template already because I think whatever you think about Rogue One, Gareth, Gareth Edwards nailed the look of that kind of gritty Star Wars feel. Totally, yeah. Uh-huh. This movie tries to do too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. trying to have its cake and eat it too, and uh, it's it the there's too much of like we need to we need to explain every little thing about Han Solo and I I think that that's to the movie's detriment and it's the the real place where the movie falls down you can do some of it like uh Robin you even mentioned like you really liked the Chewie set piece I did too you can have like some of it in there but you don't need to explain every little thing uh Han didn't need to have his entire character stamped out in a week um <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> and I think that we could have hinted at some stuff without showing it. Um, I have some ideas for some changes for things where, like, we maybe are setting up for something in the future, but don't actually go there. Um, and and I think that if you toned that back quite a bit, the movie would have been a lot more fun, and we could have spent more time with the heist, which is the best part of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it in terms of, like, his entire character being stamped out in a week. But now that you mention it, like, yeah, big week for Han. Yeah. All yeah. of his defining personality traits and, and notable uh, catchphrases and paraphernalia came to him within this one one very short time span. Yeah, and then he's off to, to meet uh, Jabba the Hutt, and that kind of completes everything we know about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know it, it the the heart of the movie is where I find the biggest fault I I can I can forgive um, the fan service um, to a certain extent 
um, which is something I'm surprised to hear myself say out loud. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the criminal group that he falls into after the escaping the the centipede criminal yeah, the- element, um, like the one with Her- Woody Harrelson and Thaddy Newton, that group was not on screen long enough to earn the emotional deaths that the movie wanted us to think that we were feeling. They could have worked like, you know, the, the beats were kind of there, but like, just because I don't, I don't know the characters well enough. I don't really care that Thaddy Newton sacrifices herself or that, um, the forearm guy, you know, got taken down and was doing his best to hold everything together and, and be brave and stuff like that. Like it works in isolation, but just like without the setup, it, it wasn't very good. So I felt like that, that kind of thing trailed on throughout most of the movie where the character relationships were okay, but not enough to really make me care. Like they wanted Woody Harrelson to be Han Solo's father figure and that only kind of works. Like it's it has the advantage uh-huh. of like we do get to spend a lot of time with Woody Harrelson and Han. Um but there's not enough going on in their relationship to really make me feel like they're two characters that care about each other. John Favreau's little alien dude is is particularly egregious in that in that complaint. Like he gets I feel like uh, this is exaggerating, but like two lines of dialogue, one of which is like, ah, you don't need anybody. You, you Everyone's fine on their own. And then he gets shot. And then he's like, don't die alone, kid. Everyone needs somebody. I was like, wow, this character was like, I see exactly why you're in the movie and what plot device you're, you're like, why you're yeah. here and what lesson you're meant to impart. We barely met you. And that's like the only two things you got to say. And then something about a Minoc roast. <laughs> it's the same thing with uh, with L three the the robot that. Um, okay, this is um, my big one. Yeah, yeah, feels like uh, she, you know she's got kind of like a thing for Lando Calrissian, and then it's and of course it's implied that uh, Lando Calrissian has a thing for her. Like uh, the only reason we know that is one line of dialogue while they're flying to their destination in the Millennium Falcon and that's it. Yeah. And then she gets like this big death scene where Lando Calrissian is um absolutely devastated that she uh has died. It's and again it's just like I feel nothing. I'm sorry. I I know what you're trying to do but it's not working. Everything about how that character was handled like that's my biggest complaint or my biggest like that that character felt so gross on so many levels to me yeah. that they give her this this plot about activism and that she's like, I view droids as an oppressed underclass of people. I, I view droids as like sentient creatures who are being kept in subjugation and oppressed. And it's mostly played for like laughs or like the other characters are just like mildly annoyed with her shtick. And then... The the idea that that what she prizes above all else is like her sentience and her freedom and the and the ultimate fate of that character is like truly existentially horrifying. <laughs> she gets it just, tra- downloaded into the Falcon forever. The fact that yeah. she's like the first really prominent female coded droid that we've seen, and her characteristics are like 
she's uh, a social uh, justice activist in an annoying way. She's like the stereotype of an annoying feminist that you would see dudes complaining about on the internet. And also has a thing for Lando maybe. And like her, her two qualities are like annoying activism and talk about boys is, is like wildly problematic and like just, just misses the point so hard. And then to, to yeah, it's, it's all just uh, one big yikes for me. Uh, and I, I hate that that is in the movie and I don't even know, I have ideas of like what could be done with it that we can talk about in the fixes, but like mostly my impulse is like, don't, don't do it. If you're going to dig into the whole oppressed underclass subtext of droids, that needs to be a whole movie of its own. You can't tack that on <laughs> yeah, as a D yeah. plot on a Han Solo origin. It's yeah, not going to go the way you plot. want it to go. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, one of the things that Anita had a problem with the movie with was Han's romantic history with Kira, um, which is interesting because she framed it as knowing that Han is going to end up with Leia several years from now in future movies him having this like love of his life that he's willing to like go out of his way to chase and go back to and has been thinking of for all these years um and then not having that end in a final way at the end of the movie leaving it open like oh like they still care about one another felt kind of weird for her and i kind of agreed with it and on the one hand i'm like Han's a grown man. He's allowed to have relationships outside of the woman he eventually marries. But at the same time, they really frame it as this was like his one true love. And that's kind of weird knowing that eventually he's going to end up with a different woman. And I kind of agree with that. The movie frames it really weird and in perhaps a a gross kind of way. And I think that that also needs to get a little tweak. And to be fair, one of the things that I'm, I'm just going to spoil it now. One of the things I intend to cut is the flat is the starting of the movie with him and Corellia. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I think if board. you need to chop 15 minutes off the movie, there's 15 minutes that can go away right there. We can yeah, start 100%. with him yeah. in the army. So that's a good, yeah, that's a good way to put it, especially because we never see that cool, the lady praxis or whatever, like mm-hmm. the, 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 the sewer swamp thing. I'm like, this is a great look at that like character cool like henson looking puppet thing even though it's cgi and yeah we get five minutes with the with the sewer crime syndicate never comes back up yep never comes up so i think that's an easy chop and then that gets rid of that romantic history with kira i think you can still have sparks fly with him and kira when she gets introduced but i don't i don't think you need the background and i don't think you need to frame it as this is his one true lost love this is the woman that he's always pined after i don't think you need you need that I think she needs to be less of the love of his life and more like that girl that you thought you were in love with in high school that then you like grow up and become a different person and realize that you have grown into incompatible people. Like that's what we need. And that's going to tie into my proposed fixes. But yeah, that's that's I think where this needed to go. And instead, it's weirdly left as like I'll always carry a torch for you. Yeah, yeah. it seems like they're even trying it too by having him be like the good like she's like you're the good guy and then we find out later she's she's maybe a bad guy which is uh before we go to the break where i just want to want to tuck this in here um you guys have been uh, uh we're doing this over over um video chat 
Um, we're gonna we're gonna take a break here. Come back. So if everyone wants to 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 pull out their swords and start waving them around here at the end of this video call, <laughs> that would uh, I think be just appropriate way. That, that's how video calls end, right? Where you just sort of wave your sword around for no reason, Darth Maul. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta pull it hanging out, up a phone call and turn it on so that everyone remembers that you had a cool sword in a different movie. Yeah. So we'll all let's all unsheath our swords, uh, take a little break, and when we come back, we'll have some notes for uh, uh, Solo: Colin, a Star Wars story. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Overdue Finds, an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Carolyn Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about Overdue Finds, head to epl.ca slash podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to I Have Some Notes. Uh, fellas, let's get into our notes for Solo, a Star Wars story. I'm, I'm going to start just because I already I, I already spoiled one of my big uh, things last half of the show, which is cut the beginning. Uh, just carve that whole part on Corellia right out and throw it on the editing room floor. Um, I don't think that it... I don't think it does enough. And I think that a lot of the introduction to Han stuff could have been shifted to his time uh, as a, like uh, an Imperial infantryman. Um, I think that that would extend out that set piece a little bit, which is good because it's a very good set piece. Um, And Mm -hmm. it gets rid of his like tragic. uh, I will always carry a torch for you backstory with Kira, because I think it's more interesting if, Maybe he meets Kira for the first time when he gets hooked up with Beckett and with Drayden Voss. Um, Some sparks fly. She likes him a little bit because he's this brash newcomer. She sticks up for him. Maybe there's a little bit of romance there, but it doesn't work out by the end. And that's okay because it's like a a young man, one of his early trysts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I just think you carve out the Corellia stuff, you throw it in the garbage, and you've already got like 15 minutes less of movie. You know what I like about that too? I feel like this movie was trying to sort of traffic in the themes of like, he's the good guy surrounded by like finding quote unquote bad guys to contrast him with. And if you start him off as an Imperial soldier, just like ganking villagers and, and <laughs> um, being, being an Imperial soldier and then kind of gets uh, uh, caught up in this criminal crowd instead. Um, it, it just helps that arc. I think of him, learning to be a bit you know realize his deep down he's a hero and a good guy and he's he doesn't have to be not only does he not have to be an imperial soldier he doesn't have to be a criminal or a crook or a jerk or a yeah i think well, I, I don't think he needs to necessarily be a war criminal at the beginning uh, no but, i guess i was exaggerating i just like no, the idea but of I, him, I think like, i think you can still have like the beats where he's like he's insubordinate he's he asks too many questions he's too much yeah, of a free right. thinker think to really fit in and that's what yeah. naturally leads him to a get in trouble and thrown into the wookie pit but also b like very easily fall in with a group of criminals and desert the second the opportunity shows up yeah I do think this movie didn't quite know how to resolve, like, because Han has an arc in the original trilogy going from a scoundrel who only cares about himself 
to uh, uh, a noble hero who who has uh, given himself over to a cause that is bigger than him and who who is selfless and cares about others and 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 falls in love and all of a sudden like he has this arc and I feel like this movie didn't quite know what to do because like you can't just have him be a static scoundrel for the entire movie so they almost tried to invert it and have him be like a nice and noble guy who falls from grace which is an interesting idea but i feel like it just ends up being boring because we know that we're just gonna see this arc in reverse later on so watch watching that like oh maybe he is a good guy deep down is like yeah we we already know that that's coming later um and I think that's where this movie stumbles a lot, is it doesn't quite know what it wants to say about Han Solo. Um, I, I have a different track that I would take the fix. Uh, that that uh, I think you could still make it work with cutting Corellia, but but the history with Kira would need to stay. Um, my my big pitch for the can I jump in? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, my big pitch is is you've got uh, you've got these two characters, um, Kira and Enfys Nest, who. Boy, is it telling that when we talked about the movie for a solid half the show, Enfys Nest didn't come up at any point. Um, uh, Supposed to be a a major character in this movie, but like very mishandled and and ultimately very forgettable. Um, I feel like they should be the same person. I feel like Kira and Enfys Nest should be should be one character. Uh, Bingo. So you have a, a similar history with Han and Kira. They grow up on the mean streets together in poverty they're turning to crime and illicit activity. They get split up by circumstance uh, and go off to lead separate lives. They both have different reactions to it. Han becomes very self-interested. He learns that the only, you know, you got to look out for number one because you can't trust anyone else to do it for you. And and the only person you should care about is yourself kind of thing. And meanwhile, Kira, unseen to us, learns to, you know, become part of something bigger than herself, learns to fight for the downtrodden and, and activism is her deal. Um, they both kind of have different reactions to growing up in poverty. Uh, and Kira grows up to be this this freedom fighter, marauder, Enfys Nest, who uh, is still a masked character when we first meet them, is still in- introduced as a potential antagonist. But then you get that moment later in the movie that they seem to want to be a reveal where she takes off her helmet and she's a lady and it's played like that's <laughs> yeah. a big shocking moment, but she's also a lady we've never met. And I guess like the the shocking element is like she's both female when she's been kind of coded as male, and she's younger and and less hardened than we would think she'd be. But like it really doesn't work as a reveal. I say in that moment, the helmet comes off, and it's Kira, and she's you know that's brilliant. What she's been doing this whole time is is trying to fight her way out of poverty and and fight for the people who who didn't have the same opportunities as her kind of thing. Um and Han has to had to has to reconcile what he has become with what she has become and they ultimately find that they have just grown into two separate directions. And we get to contrast that with his later arc that like he is going to go down that path later in the trilogy, but we don't see it in this movie because that's not what we're doing here. Um yeah, to contrast ideas of like what selflessness means because Han thinks that he is very selfless because he's only ever cared about getting back to Kira to save her but his selflessness is very individual and ultimately still self-serving I want my love interest back whereas her hers is a greater 
activism kind of selflessness, like giving yourself over to a cause kind of thing. And I, you to kind of explore the differences between those two. I like this yeah. as well because it uh, it really gives Han a more solid motivation to give up the the hyperfuel to Enfys Nest in the third act. Uh, because yeah. if it's if it's Kira, that's much more leverage and that's that makes it a much harder decision for him and it's less oh i'm actually really a nice guy and a big softy so of course i'm going to help the the good guys and more uh oh i i can't say no to kira like and then we have a, a clear arc for han what is happening to han solo in this movie is he starts off as a already a pretty scoundrel criminal kind of a guy but someone who has one last genuine connection one last like uh, thing outside of himself that he genuinely cares about, and that that's Kira. And his arc in this movie is letting go of that last thing and and becoming the completely self interested scoundrel that we meet at the, <laughs> at the beginning of A New Hope, who well, can no he... longer has any attachment to anyone other than looking out for number one, and has to learn all those lessons for the first time. Oh, I mean, he's still got Chewie, and he's kind of friends with that's Londo true. at the end. <laughs> that's fair. Okay, he's got can a couple. Center, of can his central conflict be that? he is uh he continually is a deserter uh you know yeah. like if he oh, like if we get yeah. yeah if we get a like a cold open where you know kira and han go their separate ways and han's doing it for selfish reasons and he and he buggers off and kira decides to try and stay and make a go of it on Corelli or something like that or trying to save someone or whatever i like how that dovetails into like him getting into the Imperial army. And then of course, cut, cutting bait from there as well. Um, yeah. You know, and then, and then you can kind of have like this, this sort of arc where he kind of learns his lesson a little bit. Um, but at the very, at the very end, he makes the choice not to go with her, thus continuing to set him up for being that guy who's not quite there yet in terms of being a hero when we get to a new hope. Right. Um, and the dramatic oh, irony in, in a new hope of him coming back and joining the yeah. cause. There you yeah, go. Yeah. 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 I also feel like there's this beat at the end where Kira says she's going to go with Han, but instead goes and, and contacts Darth Maul for no reason. Um, <laughs> sidebar, who is that for? If you've watched the, the extraneous media that explains that Darth Maul survived his mortal wound and, and has risen through the ranks as a crime lord, then this is not a reveal to you. You already know that he that all that stuff happened, so him showing up is just, oh, yeah, I knew that. It's just more And if you haven't watched that stuff, it's baffling, and you have no fucking clue why he's there and how he survived. Yeah, it's just and more it's completely unexplained. It's so, for nobody. Speaking of fan service stuff, um, I think that there is some of the fan servicey stuff that we we can lose in this movie. Well, I do think that Lando needs to be part of the heist. I absolutely 100% think they need the Falcon and Lando in this movie. I don't think the movie should end with Han getting the Falcon. I think the movie should end with him yeah. like being like, one day that ship's going to be mine. And Lando being like, nah, no, it's, yeah, it's my great. ship. It's always going to be my ship. I think Lando and, and Han should still end kind of as friends and allies, but... Han should not be flying away on the Falcon at the end of this movie. That's a that's a great suggestion, and every everything you guys have suggested here, I'm, I'm every time you've said something, I've like my eyes lit up because <laughs> it helps what I was gonna suggest. It all collapses in nicely because Scott said off the top of this, this movie just tries to do too many things, and I think by getting rid of some of the cold open nonsense, uh, I love Robin's suggestion of just making um, 
Emphis Nest and uh, uh, Kira the same character. My pitch, and I know we love the scene where we met Chewbacca, but I would like to see that crew of rapscallions that he joins up with, instead of it being Woody Harrelson, uh, Thaddy Newton, and Alien John Favreau, it should be Woody Harrelson, Thaddy Newton, uh, L-337, uh, Lando's robot, um, and Chewbacca are the team of criminals. Um, and instead, and then there's another one, instead of Thaddy Newton dying, because the whole, that whole scene around the campfire, she's the one who's like, I don't trust him. I don't want him. Even, even the John Favreau alien is like, I don't know if I trust this guy. And it's Woody Harrelson who keeps going to bat for him. Right. Yeah. I want to up Woody Harrelson going for bat for him. He's like, I love this kid. I'm going to be a mentor. This kid's great. I love him. Uh, and then he's the one who dies on the job. And now Thaddy Newton is stuck with him. She didn't want to bring him along. She knew. And then so the whole thing about him being a deserter, he he deserted. And it's what got Woody Harrelson killed. And she knew it. She fucking told you this kid's a deserter. But now she's stuck with him because we got to pay back Voss. And as much as it would mean less Woody Harrelson to the movie, um, I think if not literally switching Thaddy Newton and um, Woody Harrelson is who dies, whichever one lived should have been the one who wanted Han around the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. Um, I think that there's an easy fix to this that doesn't lose Beckett and Woody Harrelson from this movie, and that is that he's the one who wants him there the least, yeah. and that um, the other two get, team members, more... and that the other two team members, both Favreau and Val, uh, yeah, uh, want him want him there. They're the ones who are like, hey, you know what? I I got a good feeling about this kid, and then they both die, and Beckett yeah. is the one yeah. who's who ends up stuck with him and has um, to warm to him over the movie. Fair enough. And then the reason, I mean, I guess like the Favreau alien can stay. It's it's fine, especially if he's going to die early on. But um, by putting Chewbacca and uh, L-337 in this crew, one, we save some time, even though you don't get the fun fight pit mud fight thing with Chewbacca. Um, you uh, can spend more time um, with L-337 doing her robots are an oppressed people thing. You can spend more time of him like having to like in the same way he's going to have to like earn Thaddy Newton or uh, antagonistic uh, uh, Woody Harrelson's trust. He's also got to earn Chewie's trust, right? This is the beginning of their, fr- they don't, um, they don't walk out of a pit friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they get to grow in each other. And then, cause the whole thing with the romance between L337 and Lando is weird as shit. Like we said, when his new crew or this, these people he's rolling around with L337 and uh, Lando meet, and immediately sparks fly. We can have a have whole a thing where it's like a it's a whirlwind romance. It's going to be great. In fact, it's he might even get a line of like, "I love that ship. It's my favorite ship." You might be a machine I love even more. Oh man, if there's any way you could do like bring them together, two two great tastes taste great in one. Because uh, like, isn't the whole thing that that robot ends up in the Millennium Falcon? I see your hand. Uh, um, if if. Uh, uh, he basically if Lando falls in love with this robot and then we know one day she's going to end up in the Millennium Falcon it just it makes the romance thing more make more sense and it's more time for her activism and it's more time for him to get to know Chewie instead of immediately having a best friend for life so that's my my fix is to change the the crew of scoundrels the makeup of two, the crew yeah. two things first thing I love that second <laughs> but uh, more to that um, I like the idea that Lando doesn't have L3 at the top because it makes her, it makes 
them more part of like a heist crew because you need yeah. the guy with the ship and you need the robot that's got the best astrogation computer like it, it becomes more of a get the team together thing as opposed to yeah. these two are just already together yeah if she's got the best navigation computer she can be the one who helps them get out of uh imperial airspace yeah um i kind of disagree with the chewbacca thing and it's only because and this like this might be my total star wars fan wonkiness Chewie does owe Han like a life debt Han saved Chewie at some point and it's loose canon because all of the old stuff got thrown out that it was because he saved him from slavery when he, he was an imperial officer in this, later in this movie he can when the Chewie maybe doesn't trust him maybe he's gonna cut and run one of the times he's learning not to cut and run which was Greg's fix is he turns around and goes back and helps Chewie and then we get a very clear, like, you fucking saved my life, Wookiee life debt moment. That also reinforces the cut and run theme. I I still yeah. kind of like him breaking Chewie out with him. Um, Put the pit scene 45 minutes later in the movie then. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm on board with Liam on this one. I felt like as much as I thought the pit was a fun, a fun moment, it also didn't feel like it had the gravity of like, oh, that's the thing he owes him a life debt for? Like he he tricked him into shoulder checking a post one time? <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like there could, you could do a lot more with that. <laughs> yeah. Just, just uh, that that scene isn't good enough to tease a rancor just to not deliver on. That's That was the whole thing I thought. I was like, oh, he's going to get a rancor. Oh, it's Chewie. And I'm like, yeah. man, the Chewie reveal was just a rancor misdirect? Nah, we can do better. Yeah. I, have, I have a thought about L3 about a way to fix that and I'll, I'll come right out of the gate that it is not my thought is my lovely wife uh lena anderson uh we were chatting about this movie and i was like the one thing i don't know how to fix is this goddamn robot activism plot i don't know how you do this because it's just it just grosses me out every everything about the way they handle this character feels like dated and weird and like they're trying to make a joke about activism or feminism and i don't know what they're doing and Lena had a, a phenomenal fix that I think is hilarious and, and would uh, elevate this movie a lot. Um, instead of making her a stereotype of, of an annoying, uh, annoyingly political activist who's always bringing up their, their pet cause and that everyone else sort of rolls their eyes at, which is just like such a wild choice that they made yeah. for that characterization. Uh, Lena pitched that this is a droid who is aware of the sort of paradox of droids in Star Wars, that while they are personified and treated as people, they are also, like, objects and tools that, like, at the end of the day, the people don't don't care about and, and, and treat as more property than people. Uh, L3 is a giant nihilist. L3 is the first droid who understands, like, the cruel joke of a droid existence. <laughs> and as a result is, like still sarcastic sarcastic and sassy and obnoxious in the way that she is in the movie but also just like has a very like devil may care like go out guns a blazing get yourself in over your head and and like get shot at and who cares because i'm a droid and life is meaningless and i only feel what i'm programmed to feel so who gives a fuck um and that's that's her her bit is not like I believe that droids are are sentient and need to be freed, but that like I understand the joke of my existence and and I will uh, take every opportunity to uh, get it over my head as a result of it. And then you contrast that with Lando genuinely caring about her. Yeah, Land- and that's Liam and I both perked emotion- up and both we were, were both like, thinking yeah, that like, exactly. Like Robin wasn't going to get there anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, Lando actually has like puts meaning in this relationship, and that's sort of the thing you're exploring is like, does this relationship have meaning uh. just because he places meaning on it? You, you know, is there more to it than that? It's yeah. There's something to explore there instead of this weird sort of half joke they're trying to make about yeah. activism. And it just, yeah, not only that, yeah, you get Lando's love gives her meaning, but also now she's going to meet uh, this this mashup of Kira and, and Nest, who's going to start a revolution, and it's like she's perfect to join that cause and, and contribute to that, yeah. And if dies. you want to do the thing where she dies and goes into the Falcon, instead of that, like, that was the part that sat the weirdest with me, because in her current incarnation, she prizes freedom and autonomy and sentience over <laughs> everything else, and they take her brain and trap it inside the Falcon <laughs> forever. forever <laughs> where, and it's implied that she's, like, still kind of sentient in there, because there's a callback in a later movie where 3PO talks to the Falcon and says it has, like, a weird dialect and a weird attitude, so it's like, she's alive in there to some degree, suffering for all eternity <laughs> in the worst hell that she could have imagined. Whereas if she's a, a nihilist and views herself as like a piece of equipment, then this is like a much better resolution to her arc that she gets to continue to be useful and to, to serve a purpose. But even uh, further to that, if she, if she decides during the course of her arc in the film that she genuinely has feelings for Lando back, um, yeah. then the willingness to be downloaded into the Falcon makes more sense at that point because then she it's can continue to, to be on. yeah it's it's a way for her to continue to be with him in a way <laughs> you, you, I just had a thought you know it would be really great if like if the robot is the nihilist if it was like an old broken down version of the robots from uh, Phantom Menace the ones oh, that the get battle cut droids? down like butter, oh, <laughs> because Roger, like, Roger? like it would have every, <laughs> if it would have every reason to be a nihilist, because those things are totally <laughs> shit and useless. <laughs> be great, and it just somehow keeps avoiding death. Like every time, it's like, all right, yeah. I'm gonna run out there and get gunned down. This is what I was built for. And then at the end of every encounter, it's like, how did you get at it? Like you're still alive, really? And the dread's like, no, I'm not alive, and that's the problem. Uh, that would have been so much. Fun. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all credit to Lena for that. That is not my yeah, my intellectual Super property, good. but I Super loved it good. so much and said I would share it. <laughs> no, it's a uh, solid fix for the character, actually. Yeah, I have another suggestion. I don't know if it's. I guess it's a note, um, but I one of the things I think I might change um, would be the director and overall the style. Uh, at the top of the show, we were talking about how the Suicide Squad, it was kind of fun that, like, the DC movies seem to just be trying to do standalone stuff with its own far-out style. Um, and even just the way James Gunn took on um, Guardians of the Galaxy and sort of gave it, like, a real, true, like, visual aesthetic that, that like, there's Marvel movies, and then within the pastiche of Marvel movies, there's the Guardian movies. I think all these, like, side story Star Wars stuff it's a great opportunity to have stuff not look exactly like Star Wars. Um, mm -hmm. Still be a Star Wars movie deep down, still have all that stuff. Um, and then also for Greg's thing at the comment at the beginning, maybe not so gray and muddy. Um, instead of Ron Howard and instead of whoever they fired early on, um, get Guy Ritchie and tell him to make Lockstock again. <laughs> um, and this, give this it is a, a very Guy Ritchie flick, isn't it? 
yeah give it a give it a heist movie pastiche give it a heist that that kind of flair like have fucking bassy reggae playing in the back now maybe that's a little excessive but like <laughs> that kind of like camera shots of people's feet walking while they carry a, a briefcase and and you know freeze frames where we go into a character's head and hear they're in a monologue like do do it with some style um that is still very much a star wars movie if you see you know lightsabers and droids and shit you're gonna know it's star wars but yeah if it had the same aesthetic as like lock stock and two smoking barrels or snatch um or any pick pick your favorite heist director mine's guy Ritchie. um i think i think it just could have would have made it stand out from the whole star wars oeuvre so further to that i took issue with the score a few times in this film Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a problem that that crops up in the uh, in the sequel trilogy as well. They play a lot of music for nostalgia, but not for the actual purpose of the music. Um, there's a lot of leap motifs in Star Wars in the original, like John Williams' score for the original trilogy, and in the sequel trilogy especially, a lot of it gets repurposed just for the nostalgia, but not it's not used in the proper context, so it actually doesn't make sense. And they do that a lot in this movie, too, where like the Star Wars theme plays or the asteroid uh, battle theme plays from Empire at, at moments in the movie where it's like, did you need to do that there? Did you? Or are you just doing it because you, you want us to feel feelings? And I think that they could have made a much more original score for this film. Yeah, and I, I think that yeah. that's, that's yeah. Aside from the, the traditional Star Wars stuff, I couldn't, I didn't think there was anything really memorable in it as far as the score was concerned. And the, and the Star Wars stuff was just there to be like, Hey, remember the Star Wars theme? Are you yeah. feeling feelings now? We're seeing the Falcon for the first time. So we're going to do yeah. some Star Wars music. And it's like, no, just and be, give us a, give us an original score, hire somebody to give or, us, an or at original least score. use the leap motif to, to contribute to the aesthetic thing I was yes. talking about. Like, give me a, give me a synth version of one of the songs instead of uh, uh, John Williams, like orchestral score. Yeah. Like, Give it to me in synth. Give it to me on a bass. Give it to me, like yeah. And I got I have two examples to to back up why this is an excellent point. One is you know we've seen what this looks like and it's the Mandalorian uh, Ludwig Göransson that does the score for that. Like that theme for the Mandalorian is is amazing and iconic and doesn't sound like anything else in Star Wars, but also sounds instantly Star Wars. Yes, and 100%. we could have had that in this. Uh, the other one I immediately thought of was we, we already referenced the the rebooted Star Trek at one point, which like, you know, I, I understand that it's not fr- from a Star Trek movie is maybe not uh, the pinnacle of Star Trek, um, <laughs> but I'll go to bat for a lot of things in that movie. And the score is absolutely one of them rather than than just riffing on the original theme from the original series or like familiar motifs from throughout Star Trek. They come up with a brand new uh, theme in that movie, and like it's one of those ones that you may have forgotten about because like who who thinks about the J.J. Abrams Star Trek on a regular basis? But like go back and listen to the theme from that; yeah. it slaps. It's I, so I good. Do, I do love that theme quite a bit. It's such it's, a good piece of really score. Good. I love it so much. <laughs> we could have had that. <laughs> could have had that and didn't. Speaking yeah. speaking of Star Wars, it's it was it was Star. Trek day or sorry speaking of Star Trek it was Star Trek day yesterday and I was thinking today about how you know the Star Trek and Star Wars have always been kind of at odds with each other in terms of their fan base and I think it's funny that both 
franchises eventually kind of ended up being um, a <laughs> series of pretty bad movies with a couple good ones and and a television series that's actually really good. <laughs> you know, it's kind of weird how they both kind of lined up when initially they, they were complete opposites. Also, both fan bases have a lot of beef with J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a lot. A lot. He, he torched both of them. He is he is the the glue that binds the fandoms together. <laughs> uh, like a like a Pratt comedian. Like he picks up Star Wars, drops it, and goes, oops, and then turns around and picks up Star Trek and goes, <laughs> oh, <no>. oops. <laughs> the irony is... Here's here's the real irony. When I first saw the rebooted Star Trek, I was like, "Wow, that was a great Star Wars movie." Um, yeah. <laughs> this was definitely J.J. Abrams making a case for why he should be in charge of the next Star Wars movie. And then he made the subsequent Star Wars movies. Now was like, "Did not want that. Nope. <laughs> be careful what yeah, you wish are, for." Wow. <laughs> we are we are far too late in in the podcast to be talking about uh, Rise of Skywalker. Litigating Rise of Skywalker will yeah. take probably <laughs> two or three episodes. I think. That's yeah. that's all. We should do like a mini series, like a three part like deep dive. Mm. <laughs> that fucking I think movie. So. Anyway. <laughs> I'm torn between wanting to beg for a spot and wanting to never see that movie again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had lots of thoughts on this flick, and so did our listeners. Thank you everyone who contributed at I Have Some Notes on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. Uh, we're at I Have Some Notes Pod. Um, but thank you uh, for uh, adding your comments, and I'm I'm gonna read them now. Uh, Chris, I assume the same Chris that suggested this one. Correct. Um, pretty common name, though. Who knows? <laughs> but I just have uh, Chris here comments. Uh, there are too many pointless deaths. The Favreau and Newton characters should have hung around until the end. Make the robot death the single meaningful one instead of killing off characters every twenty minutes. Also, less screen time, preferably zero screen time. Spent forcing the audience to sit through alien poker. Everyone involved in those scenes should be embarrassed. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with there being one poker game. There definitely doesn't need to be two. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we kind of discussed uh, keeping the, the, the rest of Beckett's crew around maybe a little longer. Um, I think you definitely... St- Beckett still needs to die at the end of the movie. Like that's kind of his arc mm-hmm. is he's in, in a way he's Han's Obi-Wan. He needs to die at the end of the movie. And the fact that Han shoots him first. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Sense. Chef's kiss. Doesn't even also, give him time to finish what he's saying. Just blam. He's dead. Can, can he get the gun from Woody Harrelson? Can Woody Harrelson use that blaster, his iconic blaster for the entire movie? And then Han gets it from him at the end after we've seen it get used by Woody Harrelson and we have some emotional attachment and we understand what this transfer, what giving him the gun means instead of it just being a random weapon that he gets tossed one night for (laughs) that has no sentimental attachment whatsoever. I'm done with that. Yeah. Alan Gould comments, cut out most, if not all of the, let's explain this weird detail from the original trilogy nods. Han is supposed to have a whole new career before New Hope. His entire backstory shouldn't be that one time. Yeah, we kind of discussed that. Like his entire character was stamped out in a week. Um, (laughs) It it doesn't need to be that way. This can be one of Han's adventures before A New Hope. And not every, like I said, like he doesn't need to win the Falcon at the end of the movie. That can be set up for that happens later. He's got his eye on it though. He wants it. He knows he wants it, but he doesn't get it this time. Olav comments, tell the story of someone not involved with the original Star Wars trilogy. 
Tell the story of someone not involved in the original trilogy of the Star Wars movies. Have him leave in and out of the lives of Han Solo, Lando, etc. If they feel the need to fill in bits of backstory, do so well subverting expectations. Exactly. Like, be clever and cool about it, not obvious and tasteless about it. Yeah, it, it uh, would kind of almost be interesting to have the central character of the movie be someone else involved with the heist. Seeing Han and Lando and Chewie through someone else's eyes. <laughs> like the great Gatsby? <laughs> well, and like what if what if what if Beckett was the main character of this movie? Yeah. Um I'm I'm not saying that that's necessarily the best direction. I'm just I'm I'm following Olav's train of thought. What if you did that? It might be interesting to see the characters from a different point of view. Which, as we all know from Star Wars, is very important to the Jedi philosophy. From a certain point of view. Uh, <laughs> I, I still I still think if you're making a Han Solo movie, you still have Han Solo be the main character, though. It's And I mean, I, I love the idea of telling the story of someone completely unrelated to the original trilogy. But if there's one thing we know from uh, all of Star Wars, and especially The Mandalorian they can never leave well enough alone. They can't tell a self-contained story. Luke always has to show up and ruin everything. (laughs) I'm still mad about that season two finale. As as expansive as Star Wars supposedly is, like it's actually a pretty narrow universe. Like when it's all about like three people, very small. Yeah. And and when it, when you, when you cut out certain touchstones, like lightsabers, stormtroopers, et cetera, um, is it still Star Wars? I Still think it could be, but the the creators are terrified to find out, yes, and will never take that risk. Like, if, if Disney, especially, is just the safest uh, movie company when it comes to these kinds of franchises. They don't rock the boat. We have a hugely successful self-contained Star Wars TV show. Get Luke in there, ASAP. <laughs> Boba Fett too. Are recognizable names, brands that we own and can merchandise now. At I Hate Your Taste says, the fact that Alden was so good in Hail Caesar and then solo flopping basically stalled his career, it's a major bummer. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of rewind a little bit in the podcast here. Alden is really great in this movie, too. Alden Ehrenreich is a very good actor. Um, yeah. The problem is the movie was kind of a flop, and uh, it did kind of stall out his career, and that is a major bummer. Cinematological says... Answers questions no one asked could have been an adaptation of three Han Solo books from the 70s, which were awesome adventures of a pirate trying to make his way in the world. As a kid who owned those books, absolutely agree with this note. (laughs) Andrew Craig says, uh, the biggest problem by far is they crammed every single story beat into a first movie. Anything Han said in the OG trilogy was touched on and it just wasn't necessary. There's lots of good moments, but the uh, slavishness to fan service made it messy. I think a cool idea would have been to bookend it with Han telling Ben the story before he went into the train with Luke. A touching moment like that would really twist the knife for Force Awakens. I strongly disagree with that because I think that this movie should be as divorced from those terrible sequels as absolutely possible. (laughs) (laughs) Though I will say my pitch for a Lando Calrissian movie, and I know I was just informed they're making a series about it and I'm super hyped for it, um, was to have Billy D. Williams sitting around a sabak table telling a story of his younger days and it keeps flashing back to Donald Glover playing young Lando. So good. And, uh, 
Billy D. Williams' narration wouldn't quite line up with what was happening in reality. He'd be oh, embellishing yeah. it. That'd be great. So it'd be like, like <laughs> an example would be like him being like, and they were instantly won over by my charm. And then it smash cuts to like uh, young Londo being like punched in the face or running from laser fire or something. Yeah. Like a reverse Han or not reverse Han Solo, uh, a reverse uh, Ron Howard in um, Arrested Development. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. We're going to do that. They did not do that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was my pitch for a Lando movie. I, it, That's great. I'm a little sad it's not going to happen, but I'm also super pumped that we'll see more Lando Calrissian. Nathan Martin says this was a fun Star Wars heist movie. The characters are great and the action is top notch. The action scenes are a blast. Lando is amazing. Biggest issue I have with the movie is we didn't need it. We didn't need the last name thing. We didn't need the dice. We didn't need the story, but it's not a bad movie. It's hard to agree. <laughs> I loved it, but I didn't want it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's not wrong. The, we did not need this movie. It's it's fun for what it is. It could have been more, I think, if they just let it be its own thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I th- and again, I, like we, we touched on this off the top. I think that's the thing that's the real stumbling block for this film is that it's trying so hard to be a thing that it doesn't need to be when it's at its best when it's just being its own thing. Indeed, yeah. Uh, thank you uh, very much uh, for joining us, Robin. Before before I thank Robin, I'll do it again. Uh, thank you all to who uh, commented. Uh, we we love having your listener comments. Gives us a place to jump from. Gives us uh, some stuff to read on the air. So thank you. Please continue to do that when we solicit it. Uh, and of course, thank you, Robin, for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, if if you've enjoyed my nonsense here. Please check out my other podcast that I'm on, uh, Quantum Kickflip. It's also on the Alberta Podcast Network. It's a fantastic actual play show. Liam is also on it, as well as a bunch of our, our best and funniest friends in the whole world. And, like, I'm currently editing the next arc that's about to go live that should be, you know, up right around when this airs. And, like, it's it's so good. I know I'm biased because it's our own stuff, but I think it's some of our best work. And I, if you ever wanted a jumping on point for this show... Now's the time, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if you don't want to start at episode one, I recommend 10, 11, 12, uh, three-parter, uh, or the one that's coming out this week. Yeah. Oh, can't yeah. wait for people to hear it. It's going to, it's we. fantastic stuff. Y'all did, y'all outdid yourselves. I Mommy. feel uh, honored to be your GM. <laughs> uh, and for anyone who is like, oh, people playing a game, I don't know if I want to listen to people playing a game, we, we edit the heck out of it, and we're professional improvisers, so it <laughs> clips along more like a radio play than a... Uh, listening to someone roll dice and be like, I got a four. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like to think we, we've uh, streamlined the process a little bit and are, are more of uh, more concerned with storytelling than gameplay. Although the gameplay adds a fun, a fun wrench in the gears sometimes. Uh, cool. Thank you. So yeah, that's uh, at quantum kickflip and uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Uh, and again, please, please follow us as well at, I have some notes and at, I have some notes. Uh, pod on instagram give us a like and subscribe on all the places where you get your podcasts yeah you know what uh we were just talking about solo a star wars story and i kind of love this and i think you should too wait a minute that's also the name of one of our fellow podcasts on the alberta podcast network i love this you should too a podcast about sharing things you like with people that you love regardless of how terrible it might actually be uh you can check out that and more right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com a bunch of new podcasts including quantum kickflip just joined the network so now's a great time to go and check out what might be new 
And as we mentioned off the top of the show, you will be selecting all the movies during Season 7 of I Have Some Notes. So uh, on Monday, when this episode drops, there will also be a poll coming up on Twitter um, where you can vote for Gunpowder uh, Milkshake, Charlie's Angels 2019, please don't vote for that one, and Sucker Punch. Uh, Those are the choices for our next episode. You just ensured that everyone's going to vote for the one you didn't want them to vote for, didn't you? (laughs) If it means they listen to the end of the episode, that's okay by me. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, Until then, uh, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. The show you're listening to is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Another show from the network that you should check out is Repodcasting. Have you ever watched a movie and there was an actor in it that was all wrong for the part they were playing? Have you ever wanted to imagine someone else in the role? Never fear. That's precisely why Repodcasting exists. Listen as co-hosts and cousins Janet and Lucia recast their favorite and not-so-favorite movies with their dream cast. They also take a moment each episode to imagine which role in the film should have been given to Tony Danza, because, let's face it, Tony Danza would make every movie better. You can find Repodcasting wherever you listen to podcasts or at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Happy listening!